I work for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and uh, normally Pastor Jamie and Heidi would have been up here, but unfortunately they couldn't be here. They had to go to a funeral, and so uh, they asked me uh, to, to speak. And it, depending on how you look at it, I've either had one day to prepare for this, <laughs> because it was a last-minute ask, or I've had six months to prepare for this, because my theme is what I've taken away from sabbatical. I got as I've worked for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which is a student ministry, for 12 years. Actually, every seven years, you're allowed to go on sabbatical, so I was a little overdue. Actually, just started pushing a little bit, like you should really go, and so finally said yes to that. And um, as Jamie asked me, like, would you like to speak? Um, I thought, well, at least I have a few things to share from sabbatical. So it'll be a little different than your average sermon, uh, but I think there'll still be a few nuggets, hopefully for all of us to, uh, to take away. So let me just pray, and then I'll just jump in three takeaways uh, from, from my sabbatical. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this new year. Thank you that we can gather here together to worship you. And I pray that as I share some of the things that have really touched me, that you will use that to touch each one of us here this morning. We also pray over Jamie and Heidi as they're, I believe, driving back today for a safe, safe trip. In Jesus' name, amen. So, sabbatical. Now, again, I've had one day to prepare, depending on it, but I, I really had one day to write this. So I haven't done my, I always like to look at a text and then go and re, like think about it, pray about it, do some research. So today, I, I will just go a little bit more off the cuff. So I, I don't think the word sabbatical shows up in the Bible. The word Sabbath does, but the word sabbatical, as far as I know, doesn't show up. If it does, come up afterwards and, and tell me where it is. So we have... But we have a concept of Sabbath, and there's actually a couple of other concepts that are even a little bigger than Sabbath, not just one day, but actually for longer periods. So let me share a little bit about that. Uh, we'll go back um, into the Old Testament, all the way back to Exodus. We find the people of God in slavery in Egypt, and they are spending every waking hour working. Seven days a week, whenever they are awake, they're working, and they're getting very little for it. And so God takes, uses Moses to take the people of Israel out towards the promised land into the desert. And there God gives the people of Israel laws. They've never had laws. Well, they lived under the laws of Egypt, of course, under the laws of Pharaoh. Uh, but before they arrived, you might remember the story of Joseph and his brothers and his father. They were a family that came to Egypt, and they didn't necessarily have very specific laws. And so here God takes time to give the people a whole set of laws and goes into detail. And if you read Leviticus, you see laws about what to eat, how to purify yourself so you can be in right relationship with God, what to do in case of sickness, sexuality. A lot of these things are very intimate. Um, it's about sacrifice. It's about festivals and when those should take place and how they should be done. It's an extremely diverse book with all kinds of laws. And when we get to Leviticus 25, we get two new concepts of Sabbath. So the first concept of Sabbath, like taking one day out of the week and, and putting it aside uh, for God, uh, comes from Genesis 2, where after in Genesis 1, God is created every day. On the seventh day, it says he rested. Although that is not the perfect translation. A better translation would be, he ceased work. 
Because God, well, does God tire? Does, God doesn't necessarily need to rest. So he, he stops to work, not for his own benefit, but as an example to us so that we will do the same thing. And then in Leviticus 20, and, and of course, in, in, we also have the Ten Commandments in which the Sabbath then comes up as a, uh, as a command. And then we get to Leviticus 25, um, there's two additional types of Sabbath. The first one is the Sabbath for the land. And it's on every seventh year. It says here in Leviticus 25, Do not sow your fields, or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, your servants, and the hired worker and temporary resident who live among you. So that's every seven years for a whole year. And then we got another type of Sabbath, which is called the year of Jubilee, which is after seven times seven years, so after 49 years. And that's a Sabbath for the land plus what it says liberty will be proclaimed. Um, property will be restored. People will be freed from their debts and from servitude and from slavery. It's kind of the big reset button. So there's a lot we could say about that, but just wanted to say there's these three types of Sabbath. And one thing they all have in common, and that is the person who practices this kind of Sabbath needs to have an amazing trust in God. A Sabbath for one day, stopping to work and believing that God will take care of you, all the way to like a whole year of not tending the land and believing that God is still going to uh, care for you um, and give you and your family uh, food. So another place where you see that trust coming back in Exodus is when manna shows up. The people of Israel are in the desert. Where are they going to get money or money? Where are they going to get food from? And God gives them manna. And in the morning they wake up and there is this stuff that's a little sticky that's just they can pick up and it tastes like honey. And they, they, they can gather it. But then the next day, if they kept too much of it, it, it goes bad. But then God says, on the Sabbath, you're not going to gather any of it. Instead, the day before, you gather twice as much. And so the people that gather twice as much the day before the Sabbath need to trust that for whatever mysterious reason, this food is going to last them on the Sabbath. It's, it's about trusting God to uh, provide for you. An example I've shared before um, is about a PhD student I met some years ago who was in a very... Um, like, I'm not quite sure what the word is, high, um, just in an environment where there's a lot of competition and uh, really felt like she saw around her, everybody was working every day. Every day people were in the lab doing their research and she thought that was the only way she could do a PhD and for years she did until she really felt convicted that she needed to take a Sabbath. And so very counterculturally, she took the Sunday off and she did not do any work and she was afraid, is, is, is this going to work out? And she said, God took care of me. Not only was she able to do the work that she needed to do in those six days that she had available to her, but she said she suddenly had more time available to her. Simply by trusting God, um, this happened. And so it, it, I think it's for us a way to go into deeper relationship with God and deeper levels of trust. And so sabbatical is somewhere in between, right? It's not one day. Uh, it's not a whole year of not doing work. It's somewhere in between. For me, it was six months. I still have until Thursday, so officially I'm still on my sabbatical. Um, but it's still that trusting that God will take care of me as I do not do the work. 
and that also God will take care of the work. And I will find out on Thursday <laughs> when I go back, like, what has God been doing with the work that I've been doing? And I have a team, and, and I know people have been dividing things, but there is this big letting go of something that I've invested a lot of time in that I need to trust God that he's doing something with it. And maybe when I come back, it's not the same as I, I, I left it, and that's okay. So through all of that, I noticed a shift. I'm not saying I made a complete shift, but I, I noticed a shift in my soul that I've been moving slowly from wanting to control my destiny and my universe all the way to trusting God deeper, step by step. And have come more to the realization that there is nothing I can do or give. God loves me and will take care of me. Um, whether, yeah, during a time when I, on purpose, have set aside not to, uh, not to work. I experienced this kind of love uh, in, in Croatia. So part, I need to tell you a little bit about what our sabbatical was about. Uh, part of it, we, we went abroad. Uh, part of it was visiting my parents. Uh, part of it was doing a pilgrimage uh, up in Northern England and Scotland, which I will tell you a little bit about. And three months we spent in split Croatia. And uh, sometimes people ask, why, why did you choose split Croatia? Well, we pretty much looked at the map and thought, well, that looks kind of nice. It, that, initially, we looked north, and it looked a little cold. So we went down south until we got to the Mediterranean. It's like, that seems like an interesting place. But one of the things we did as well was look, is there a Christian community? And so I uh, contacted my former supervisor when I was doing international student ministry here in Pullman in Moscow. Um, and he is now working over in Europe. And I said, well, do you know anybody that uh, might know a church in Croatia? And so he connected me with a Croatian guy who's married to a Lithuanian who lives in Lith uh, Lithuania. So I got on a Zoom call with him. And he told me about a pastor who lived in split Croatia. I contacted him. And he connected me with a youth pastor there. So I just love how small the Christian world sometimes is. You just kind of, well, just keep asking, and eventually, yeah, there's a church, and there's stuff happening. And they told me there was translation, and so we said, well, let's go check out this Croatian church. And so I have a picture here of some of the things that um, this community in the Croatian church, I can look that to right. It's so great having a monitor over here. It's like I'm marveling at all this new technology. So here in the back, it's, it's a little hard to see, but it's this interesting a communist building that uh, is a combination of, a, like it has a basketball field in it, it now has a fitness in it, and then behind it is this weird mall, um, and uh, the first mall in Yugoslavia before, of course, now it's Croatia, but Croatia was part of Yugoslavia. And so one of the little storefronts is this church, this Croatian church that we were going to, and uh, after the first time we came there, Sunday, you see the, the picture on the left top, uh, you see us all sitting at a big table um, at a nearby restaurant eating a really big pizza. Like part of Croatian culture is connect connected to Venice. Venice was in charge of, uh, of this part of Croatia, Dalmatia, for about 400 years. So a lot of the food is similar. So we're just sitting there with some of these Croatians eating, eating pizza. Uh, and then in the bottom you see a little picture of, of, their, um, of their worship band. I, I love, this is something that took me, so everything that happened in this church was in Croatian. We thought we were going to be able to communicate, and people did speak English, but they were worshiping in Croatian, the, the message was in Croatian, and so a lot of the time it happened that two hours, the first hour, uh, we just sat together, we knew there was Croatian worship songs, and I had a little nifty app on my phone, I took a picture of the slides, and uh, then translated it on my phone, so at least I knew what we were singing. 
Uh, luckily, it's in Latin script, so we could sing uh, in, in Croatian. Um, uh, and then the, there would be a little message around communion, and we had no idea what was being said most of the time there either, but then often somebody behind us would say, it's, it's about Matthew 13, and we quickly look in our Bibles, like kind of have an idea of what's going on here. Um, one of the things that was funny about how worship was done so differently, it took me probably a couple of months to figure this out. We, we would have a song, we sing it, and then be quiet, and then people would be staring at each other, and then somebody would yell something, and somebody else would yell something, and then everybody like, took a little, few more seconds, and then we started singing a song. And this kind of happened over and over again. There was this weird like, silence, few people talking. It's like, what's going on? It took me two months to figure out like, they didn't come there with a set amount of songs to sing. They simply asked the community, what do you want to sing? And then somebody would say, oh, like, and there's this list of 150 songs. And like, oh, well, I would like to sing that song. And then they, the, the worship team had to quickly figure out, like, where, where, is our, like, where, where are the notes? What, what is the lyrics? And then they would sing it. It's just a really different way of, of engaging than we're used to, right? Um, so the translation then for us, like, we, the second part of it, um, there was a sermon, and we kind of wanted to figure out what was going on. So we would have to go and ask somebody to translate for us. And we did this every week. And, and generally, if we didn't say anything, we wouldn't have any translation. So we had to kind of figure out, ask somebody. And I started to wonder if we were being a burden to the community, right? Like, I come here, I have nothing to offer, and I need translation. I need other people who otherwise would be experiencing the ser service. They now need to sit there, listen in Croatian, and then try to, like, translate all these difficult theological topics because they were pretty meaty sermons to us. So I was like, am I being a burden? And I started asking uh, the youth pastor there, and he's like, no, 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 you're not a burden. But I still felt that. And there was a certain moment that um, a person who became our friend, Maya, I think turned to Kelly when she saw that we were not having any translation. And she said something along the lines of, like, we're all brothers and sisters here. Sometimes we forget you can't understand Croatian, but you have to ask us. Like, you're part of this community. And it was really this deep realization of, again, like, whenever I go to a church, we also went to an international church there. And within, like, three weeks, I, I was asked to preach there. <laughs> because the pastor was out of town. He's like, I heard you speak sometimes. Can you do this? So generally, I come to a church and have something to offer. And here I came to a church and had absolutely nothing to offer. And the community still decided to love us and to invite us in and to make us part of it. And I realized this is how our relationship with God is. I have absolutely nothing to offer. And still, God chooses to love us. So it was just a really cool way of experiencing that myself, and it's probably one of my highlights of our sabbatical. One of the questions I had going into sabbatical is, how is God going to meet me? And as I thought about that, I realized the question might need to be tuned a little bit. Not how is God going to meet me, but how am I going to make time to spend with God more intentionally? Because God is always there. Like, I can, I can choose to meet God, but... I make excuses. I am busy with other things. One of the things I've learned over the last 10, 12 years or so is that busy is just another way of saying it's not my priority, which is fine. There are certain things that shouldn't be my priority. But sometimes I'm saying I'm too busy to spend time with God. What I'm really saying is, well, spending time with God is not my priority. I felt convicted about that. And so I wanted to do something with that during my sabbatical. 
To go a little bit back in time, in February 2020, I went to Paris uh, as I worked with stu students who study abroad. We had a group of students there who wanted to live out their faith abroad, and we gathered them together. And part of what we did was an experience created by my colleague Sarah, who at the time lived in Paris, uh, to read a psalm and then meditate on it, choose a verse from the psalm, and use it as part of a breath prayer. The psalm we used was Psalm 84. And let me just read the first part of the psalm because I really love it. The psalmist says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. So here the psalmist is describing how he longs to be with God. So I chose the, the, just the first verse, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. And we decided to walk downtown Paris separately, silently, trying to just spend time with God in silence. And whenever our thoughts would wander, which I don't know about you, but my thoughts wander all the time, I would... Say, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty, and spend time with God. And for an hour, we walked from the Seine River to the Louvre, to the Place de la Concorde, downtown Paris, cars coming by, police walking there, uh, people just bumping into each other. And I had a real experience spending time with God. And I realized that if I can spend time in a chaotic place like Paris with God, I can do this anywhere. Of course, 2020, little virus happened and all kinds of problems. And before we knew it, all our students were back home and we went all digital and we came up with experiencing the breath prayer through digital means. And we gave it to students and to faculty and, and, and supporters as well. Um, and, and so I was constantly leading these kind of experiences, but I was doing it in a work environment. And I really wanted to experience it apart from my work, which is part of why we do sabbatical in ministry. Like, part of the question was, what is my relationship with God apart from my work? Having done ministry for, for 12 years uh, within a varsity, that was a big, big part of it. And so I designed sabbatical to be around walking with God, pilgrimage. And uh, one of the ones we wanted to do, I wanted to do one that we hadn't done with our organization, Kelly found uh, the St. Cuthbert Way, which is a relatively new walk in northern England and Scotland. Um, St. Cuthbert was a, um, a bishop in, uh, I believe, the 7th century who brought the gospel to Northumberland, which is this area in northern England and, and Scotland. And so over, I think, in the 90s, they started developing a particular path all the way to the island where he was a bishop, which is called Holy Island or Lindisfarne. And... Um, we did that like as a family. We walked 100 kilometers in six or seven days. Uh, we stopped in little hostels and hotels along the way. And um, oh yeah, I have, I have a picture of that as well here. So in the background you see, I think it's a, a picture of, of, of Scotland and weather. This is, this is August, by the way. Left top, we're in the rain. I mean, when it rains in Scotland, it's like it's not just water coming from the heavens down. It's water from the the bottom coming up, it's like peat just soaked with water, and within a few hours, we were drenched. Like, the, 
the water came up into the shoes and from the top down into our shoes. So there you see Kelly and Deborah uh, trying to jump a little puddle as we walk through fields of farmers. Um, uh, but other days it was really beautiful. Like you see the, 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 the picture on the left bottom. It's, uh, uh, we, we met some other people walking this, this pilgrimage path and I took a picture of this wooden statue of St. Cuthbert that somebody had placed there and there's little British flags above it. And then on the right side you see a little church where we, uh, we just stopped and had lunch. It's the St. Cuthbert Church. I don't think it has anything to do with St. Cuthbert except that it has its name. But it was just a really nice place to stop. So it gives you a little bit of idea of as, as we walk there. And uh, we tried to start every day. Actually, my goal was to do three offices every day, a morning and afternoon and an evening office. The morning office we did, I think, every day. But by the time we got to the afternoon, I was already so tired, I completely forgot about it and spaced it. But uh, we walked, sometimes together chatting, sometimes just by ourselves walking. Sometimes it just took some time to connect with God. And, and then we got to Lindisfarne, which is the next picture. This is the island of Lindisfarne. Uh, this is not a picture I took. I wish I'd taken that picture. I had to pull off the internet. Um, but that is what it, what it looks like when the sun sets. It's this little castle on, on the island. And um, we get to the end of almost like we're, we, we only have a few more kilometers to go. We get to the, the coast of England and we need to get to this island. And at low tide, you can actually walk across. And so we're there waiting for a guy to show up that doesn't show up. <laughs> And we're like, we have to cross this. How are we going to do this? But there were, there were poles along the, um, or yeah, kind of a trail with poles along it uh, all the way to the island. And uh, we knew that at that moment the tide was low. It was going to take a couple hours before the water comes up because, of course, you don't want to get stuck when the water comes back up. And uh, we took off our shoes. We're all in bare feet. And we walked for about an hour and a half to Lindisfarne. And when we got there, um, we, we stayed in a little house from the community of Aden and Hilda, which is uh, a, a, a Christian community there on the island. And uh, in the evenings, we would get together with them and do an evening office. And there were also some visitors from Salvation Army from somewhere in northern England as well. And so we had this really fun group that we got together with and, and do evening offices with. And so as I had this experience, I wanted to hold on to walking with God uh, throughout my sabbatical. And so most mornings, what I started doing is I tried to beat my, my family, waking up, get outside. Specifically, when I got in Croatia, we were staying really close to the, 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 the seashore. So I would get out, walk towards the seashore, and just walk for half an hour. And what am I going to do, right? Like, okay, I'm walking. How am I spending time with God? How's, what does this actually look like? And so I, I, I started doing what I normally do is like I'll find a podcast. I found a Pray As You Go podcast, which is a great one. It's an examine. Uh, there's somebody telling you scripture piece, asking some good questions. And so I enjoyed that. And then I found a Bible in a year, so I might tag that along and listen to the Bible. I, I specifically, because in my work, I'm all the time uh, doing Bible studies and reading the Bible a lot. I wanted to engage with the Bible differently. So listening was a different way for me to do that. And I enjoyed that, but I just felt there was something missing. And then about halfway my sabbatical, my supervisor, uh, I wasn't in contact with, with my job all that much, but my supervisor sent me a, a talk um, called Paradise Now by Tim Mackey. And he gave this talk at a prayer conference. And so it's about a 50-minute YouTube video. Um, if you, you can look it up, it's a, it's a really good, good talk, Tim Mackey, Paradise, Paradise Now. But the story that really stood out to me uh, is 
his story of simply talking about, he, he loves to hike, he loves to run, and he says when he hikes and runs, he, he has all these problems that he wants to figure out, but when he, he feels he can't figure them out until he's out there and he's walking or he's running and he feels he gets his really clear mind. And so that's, he went on to Mount Hood just to walk and to hike, and he was thinking of all these things until he runs into a lady that's crouched over. And he's like, what is she doing here, right? Like if somebody in the woods crouches over, you probably want to walk around it. Like they're probably doing something private there. But the lady stands up and she has her mouth full of huckleberries. And she says, exclaims, the huckleberries are everywhere. And he realizes for the last two miles he's been walking through fields of huckleberries. And not just little huckleberries, the biggest ones he's ever seen in his life. And he realizes he has been walking there and he hasn't even noticed them. He hasn't even taken the time to look around and see these huckleberries. And he likens this to his relationship with God and his kingdom. Just like with the huckleberries, we have the possibility to connect with God wherever we are. We have the ability to find God's kingdom wherever we are. But so often we are focused on all these other things. Our brains are thinking like uh, about all the things that need to happen later today or what has happened yesterday. And we actually don't see what is straight in front of us. And he says we need to unlearn that way of seeing, like seeing in the way that God sees. And he says one of the ways to do that is to spend time with God in silence. And so I changed my rhythm. Initially it was a little awkward. I was like, okay, I'm outside, I'm silent, what am I going to do? Well, I'd learned in Paris, like you can, whenever your, your mind kind of starts to wonder about other things, you can repeat a verse. I would often say, well, Lord, here I am. Other times I would still listen to pray as you go and do the exam and then spend some time in silence. Uh, and, and nothing really happened those first few weeks, those first few months. But I did start noticing something changing inside of me. Nothing dramatic. But mainly, the interesting thing was the more time I spent with God in silence, the more I wanted to spend with God in silence. Actually, when I didn't do it for a few days, I'd be like, I really need to spend some time with God. I just started to get that desire. Other things that happened was like little nudgings. Often we, we talk about in, in church about God speaking to us, but I, I think that's not what, like, it wasn't an audible voice. It wasn't, like, very clear, like, God is telling me something. I'd be walking and spending time with God, and suddenly Stuart, a guy that I'd met, met in, in Split, came to mind. I thought, maybe I should send him a text, and we got together for coffee. Or another moment, I, I felt convicted about changing something. And I was like, huh, I think this might be from God. So as I did those things, um, I just really felt a change in my, in my soul. Now, I want to say one thing here, specifically at the new year. A lot of us are thinking, oh, I might want to start reading the Bible in a year, which is great. Go do it. Or I want to spend time with God every day uh, for 10 minutes. And those are good goals. But I was very, on purpose, I was really trying to not be legalistic. I would not be upset if I missed a day. Sometimes, you know what, I slept in and I didn't do it. And that was okay. Um, sometimes I didn't do it for two days. I was really trying to go away from this is something I need to do, otherwise God doesn't like me, right? Like the Croatian church where I could just show up and had nothing to give and the, the community still loved me. The similar thing is in our, my relationship with God. I tried to shift it from I have to do this to 
spending time with a really, really good friend. If you know somebody really, really well, you can have a cup of coffee and not talk to each other and still enjoy each other's company. That is kind of the experience I was looking for. And because I like walking, just imagining walking with God together made me want to do it instead of needing to do it in order to be right with God, which I knew I couldn't do anyway. So I just wanted to point that out. Okay, third thing, last thing, that just was really impactful to us was the community. So I've now talked about spending time about listening to the Bible that I did uh, and, and reading the Bible. It's, it's a really good thing. Spending time with God by myself, which I highly recommend to all of us to do. But without Christian community, this experience wouldn't have been the same. And I think our walk with God is not going to be the same either. So when we got there, we decided to dive in. And partly, you know, I had the luxury of being on sabbatical. I arrived in Croatia and I had absolutely nothing on my schedule. So what are you going to do? You're going to say yes to stuff. You're going to find community. And I tend to be somebody who kind of prides myself a little bit on boundaries. I, when somebody invites me into something, my initial inclination is to say no. And then I need to wait. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe I can do this. But I wanted to, at this time on sabbatical, I wanted to come in with a yes, that my initial response would be yes to invitations that were made. So we went out of our way to find community, both the Croatian and the international community. Uh, so we have another picture up here. These are some of the pictures. And I realized I reused some of the pictures from your former slides. So there's a few that you already know. But you see, and I, I kind of interestingly paired them as well, or not paired them. So left top is our time with Maya from, uh, you see Maya standing there on the left from me. And she was a lady from the Croatian church. And she just, as longer as we kept coming, she started taking us places. She took us to a, a church meeting at the beach, which was a lot of fun. And she started inviting us, our whole family, just towards the end of our stay to just experience some other parts around the split area that we hadn't seen yet before. Uh, on the right side, you see the, the, the worship team of the Croatian church. And in the middle, then the, the uh, bottom, you see the, the pizza we were all eating. So that's that Croatian church experience we're having. And the kids even dove into that, too. They went to youth group, Croatian youth group, had to go out of their comfort zone to ask for translation. Uh, but I think it was a really special uh, experience for all of us. And um, then the other three pictures are left over, actually, the international community. So the left bottom, you see the worship team. And Deborah uh, played there a few times as well. And on the right uh, bottom, you see um, our our international community coming together with some Croatians during the World Cup to watch a um, Croatia-Canada uh, game. And after that, we just spent time in worship. And in the middle top, you see a picture of, um, we, we got involved. The international church uh, had set up a preschool for Ukrainian refugee kids. And so when we found out about that, and it was all in English, the kids were kind of starting to learn English a little bit. And so we found out about that, we could volunteer, so we showed up once a week for a couple of hours and got to know these kids and help out. So those are just the, some of the things we said yes for and made our experience so much deeper and so much more fun. And I mean, just thinking like, yeah, we took a couple of days or a couple of hours out of our week to be with these kids, but I feel I got more out of that than the kids did. It was just a really fun time. So I think here, as we all are in our busy lives, right, I'm... I'm January 5th, I'm going back to work. I know my, the, the amount of time, things I can say yes to will be smaller. Um, I still want to challenge you to say yes 
to community. I think we grow together in community. And even as Casey was sharing some of the things that are happening in this church, maybe there's one or two things you can say yes to there, or wherever you find Christian community. To go deeper, it really, really makes the experience so much better. And, and, and we as a community are able to help each other grow um, towards God. So I have one thing left, and that's a reflection question. And then after that, I would like to ask Julie to sing the doxology for us. I'm going to let her lead doing that. Um, but just in one minute to think about the following thing. What is God inviting you into this year? Maybe a new spiritual rhythm, or is there an invitation into Christian community that you need to say yes to? So just take a minute to think about that. Will you join me in singing the doxology? Mm -hmm. 